If you are anything like me, then you've probably fantasized once or twice what it would be like if you were in charge of the country. And if you're half as proud as I am, you probably imagine you'd do a pretty good job of it, too. But we don't take ourselves too seriously. At least I don't. I know I'm never going to be elected president, and nobody's going to give me my own country to rule. But imagine, imagine you were born the heir to a kingdom. In that case, it wouldn't just be some idle speculation. In that case, you'd probably have some pretty detailed and certain ideas about what kind of king you would be. And they'd probably be informed by what you saw growing up. So it was with Rehoboam, the son of the fabulously wealthy and renowned King Solomon. Rehoboam had been one year old when his father was crowned king of Israel, a nation the geographic size of New Jersey. He had grown up watching his father's great building projects. He had seen the magnificent temple constructed over a period of seven years. And then he had spent 13 years watching his father's laborers construct their mighty palace. He had lived in that palace. He had dined on plates of gold and drunk from cups of gold. He had seen such a volume of silver pour into his father's treasuries that he considered silver of little account. He had seen great kings from foreign nations come and bring tribute to his father. And doubtless, he looked forward to the day when they would bring tribute to him, when he would sit upon the great ivory throne overlaid with gold. At the age of 41, about my age, Rehoboam was crowned king at his father's death, and he had some pretty good ideas of what he was going to do now with the wealth and power of Israel that were now his. But the elders of the tribes of Israel came to him at his coronation with an unlooked-for request. Your father laid a heavy yoke upon us, they told him. Now, lift the heavy burden and lighten that yoke, and we will serve you. In other words... Lower the taxes. They have been too heavy to bear. For King Solomon's taxes, his heavy yoke, had indeed been heavy. They started out simple enough. Solomon had divided all of Israel into 12 administrative districts. And each month, one district was responsible for providing for his household. His household, which grew as his palace built, and he collected many wives and many, many concubines. And he established houses for his son. And they had to provide for all of this. And his household staff, his servants, his personal guard, a standing army of horsemen and charioteers that had not existed in the days of his father. They had to provide for all those horses and stables and the king's ships. And then were the additional property taxes. The king took the Israelites' best fields and vineyards and gave them to his own attendants and administrators. He took the best of their cattle and donkeys. And then they had the taxes on trade, all the ships going in and out. All the trade over land as merchants bought chariots in Egypt and then sold them in Syria. And then there were the labor taxes, the kind that you don't pay with money but with sweat. Actually, in Ontario, a couple generations ago, we, we even had a labor tax. It was a road tax, which you paid by going out to work on the roads and keep them in good repair. Well, King Solomon had labor taxes for his great building projects, and he sent Israelites out to Lebanon to bring in cedar for his constructions. These were the heavy burdens, the yoke that Solomon had placed upon the people of Israel. But Rehoboam, he had not imagined becoming a less wealthy and less powerful king than his father. Lower the taxes? You mean reduce the size of my own household and estates? Have less extravagant banquets and, and 
feasts and entertainments. Diplomacy is important, you know. And what about the building projects that Rehoboam had imagined? This wouldn't do at all. So he told the people, I will consider the matter. Come back in three days and I will give you a response. And then he went to the elders who had advised his father. Maybe they could help him explain how to tell no to these people. For King Solomon, even though he was the wisest man in all the land, had kept counselors, advisors to give him perspective. And when Rehoboam went to these men now, they said, Do as the people say, and they will indeed serve you. Well, that was useless. That wasn't what he wanted to hear at all. So he sent those advisors away, and they're bad advice. He would go looking for, for better advice, advice more to his taste. Ah, to the men he had grown up with, to the men who had also looked forward to when he would become king, to the men who looked forward to the gifts they would receive from him when he would become king. They will give him the advice he wanted to hear. And so they did. Of course they did. You don't get gifts from your king if you contradict his will. So they flattered him. Tell the people, they said, tell them that you are mightier than your father. Tell them that your little finger is thicker than your father's loins. Tell them, my father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with barbed whips. Your translation might say, chastise you with scorpions. Probably a kind of whip with knots or barbs in it, or even shards of glass to increase the sting, like the later Scorpio whip used by the Romans. Well, this was the impressive sounding answer that Rehoboam looked for. So this was the answer that King Rehoboam took to the people. It did not go over well. Back to your tents, the leaders of Israel replied. What have we to do with the house of David? Now, King Rehoboam, son of Solomon and grandson of David, thought maybe he could bring them back into line with an impressive show of force. So he went back out to the people with the commander of the slave labor. They stoned the commander of the slave labor. Rehoboam himself escaped with his life on the back of his chariot. Rehoboam had been king for three days, and already he had lost most of his kingdom. He had for himself only his family tribe of Judah. In fact, from this point forward, his kingdom would no longer be called Israel. It would be called Judah. And all the other tribes now had the kingdom of Israel. And they would appoint their own king who would outlive Rehoboam. He did also have control over the small tribe of Benjamin neighboring him that were within easy reach of his armies. And he contemplated for a moment mustering all the mighty men of Judah and Benjamin to go to war against rebellious Israel and bring them back into line. God sent a prophet to the king and to the people to let them know that this was from God and they should not go to war against their brethren. And whether Rehoboam listened to that prophet at this time or his soldiers listened to the prophet in Lost Heart, or he simply did a head count and realized that when most of Israel left him, they took most of the fighting men with him, Rehoboam did not go to war. Instead, he ruled over his little kingdom of Judah. And instead of receiving mighty tributes from foreign rulers, he was invaded by Egypt a few years later and humiliated as they plundered all the gold from the temple and all the gold from his palace. So much for the king who's Little finger was thicker than his father's loins. Good morning. Uh, I love that story, and I hate that story because uh, it's sad. You know, the guy had everything going for him. Uh, his grandfather was David, the one with the sling and the stone and Goliath. Uh, he was a great king. He unified the country. His, his dad was Solomon. He was the richest and the wisest guy. They handed him over 
a, a really great opportunity. He had peace on all sides. He had uh, the wealth and the power and the prestige to really bless uh, the people he led. And really, the people he was leading, Israel, God had, had given them a special mission. It was through that nation that he was going to save the whole human race. So there was something much bigger going on. And in his first decision, he lost it all. And uh, I have made bad decisions before that have cost me uh, what was everything at that time in my life. I've made various uh, foolish decisions. And so we're, we're looking at how to make a bad decision, which is kind of a fun title. Uh, you don't normally try to learn how to make a bad decision. But if you study bad decisions, then it can help you make good decisions. And so this week we're going to be looking at the mistake that Rehoboam made, which was he refused wise counsel. He just didn't listen to people he shouldn't listen to. And it seems simple enough, but uh, if you've been in a situation where you really wanted something or you set your heart on something, it's, it's really hard to listen to people tell you, slow down, stop, consider this, consider that. Um, sometimes we get in hurries, you know, like I, I might be late to work and so I'm, I'm driving fast and maybe you've been in a hurry before. Maybe it was hard to get to church today. And it seems like when we're driving, that's when we hit all the red lights. It looks like this. And it's, it's frustrating because we, we gotta get to work. We gotta get to where we gotta get to. And sometimes we hit yellow lights like this. And when you hit a yellow light, what do you do? Be honest. Right. You speed up, which we all know is not what it's for. It's telling us to slow down uh, because it's going to keep us safe. So we speed up to the yellow light. And what we're really looking for is green lights. Right. We have in our mind the streets that give us most of the greens. And it's easy. It's actually very much like decision making. You know, you have a place you want to go. You have something you want to do. And you're looking for green lights to help you get there. And the problem is, is that um, there are yellow lights and red lights for a reason in traffic. And in, in the economy of God and the way that he has designed life, he has uh, placed people in our lives who can give us good input. And sometimes that comes in the form of a slow down. Sometimes that comes in the form of a stop. And I don't always want to hear that. And so in the story we just saw or, or just heard uh, about Rehoboam, uh, he lost everything because he refused the wise counselors that his, his father had gathered together for him. And it didn't just cost him. Uh, the northern kingdom that, that left, those people were ruled over one bad king after another. They led that people away from God, and ultimately their entire kingdom was destroyed by Assyria. The plan that God had for those people, uh, they weren't able to experience it. They were exiled. They lost their homes. And it's not all Rehoboam's fault, but he has a part to play in that story when God really wanted to use him just like he wants to use me and use you to not just bless us, but to bless the people around us. He wants us to play our unique role in this world. And he's created each of us individually to do some things that he has prepared in advance for us to do. As we follow Jesus Christ, we begin to discover what those things are. And he gives us the resources and the power to do them. And so wise decision making, I mean, who doesn't need that? Think about a, a year of good decisions. Ten years of good decisions. Three decades of good decisions. Think about the cost if you don't make good decisions. So we're going to be looking at Rehoboam. And what can we learn from his, his decision? So there are three big mistakes that he made. And if I asked you to read the story and I said, hey, what mistakes did he make? You would probably pick these things too. It doesn't hurt to focus our attention on them and to hold them up like a mirror against ourselves. To see if there isn't any of that in us as well. So here's the first thing. He scorned the counsel of the wise. 
Now, the word scorn, we don't really use that anymore. It means contempt. And we don't really use that word either. (laughs) And that word means worthless or to treat something like it has no value. To scorn something someone tells you is to leave it like it's worthless, like it has no value to you. It it doesn't matter. It's not consequential. And that's the way he treated the counsel of the wise. And so in, uh, in the story, you find it in 1 Kings chapter 12. It says, and they said to him, that is these wise counselors that his dad collected for him and set him up with. It's like a putt in golf. My, my, my family and I, we play miniature golf. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can get a, a putt. It's just so close. It's just all set up. And sometimes I play with my four-year-old son, Judah, and he's on my team. It's pretty good for four, to be honest. But sometimes I have to set him up, and so I'll hit the ball, and I'll put it, you know, this far away from the hole. And all he's got to do is tap it in. Just got to tap it in. That's, that's how Solomon set up his son, Rehoboam. And one of the keys was this group of wise counselors. And so here's what they said to him. They said, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. You serve them, they'll serve you. Reciprocity. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him. And he took counsel with the young man who had grown up with him and stood before him. He abandoned the counsel. That means he left it there on the table. They laid in front of him diamonds, really good advice. He looked at them and he said, nah, not interested. And then he went and looked for someone who would tell him what he wanted to hear. Now, he did this because he really wanted to rule his kingdom with this picture he had in mind of people producing even more wealth. And he would be even greater than his father. And he wasn't about to take his foot off the gas. And he wasn't about to make his first act as king a merciful um, acceptance of these people's requests. No, he was going to show them that he was really tough. He was going to put the fear of Rehoboam in them. And sometimes we, we get into a situation where we really want something. We're, we're set on it. And we just kind of leave it on the table, people's advice, warnings. Especially when you're young. A lot of you are young here in your teens, and there's a lot of people in your lives who are older and wiser, and they say, hey, slow down, pay attention to this, and it's very easy to leave that advice on the table. I remember I did this when I was uh, 19, I think, something like 19, 18. Uh, my sister, she lives in Merced, which is above Fresno, and she had a sea her and her husband. So we used to go to this lake uh, right by her house, Yosemite Lake, not very big, here's a picture of it. And uh, we would ride the Sea-Doo, me and my friend Sean, I'd bring him up from where I grew up, Coachella Valley. We'd go up there and we'd ride the Sea-Doo around, a lot of fun. They'd always tell us, be careful, drive slow, don't cut in front of boats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We met met some girls on the lake who were on a Sea-Doo, and they showed us this kind of secret channel on the perimeter of the lake. You can kind of see it, I drew an arrow there. There's these tamarisk, or not tamarisk, but these long bushes, cattails I think they're called. They created something like a wall between the main lake and this little channel. On one side was the shore, and the other side was this row of bushes. So it created this lane. And you could zoom your sea-doo down and back and forth. And if you saw this space, this gap in the bushes, you could turn off back into the main lake. Because if you didn't do that, it was a dead end. And so we followed them, and they showed us what to do, and it was a lot of fun. So several months later, I was back with my dad, just me and my dad. We went to the lake. I borrowed the sea-doo. Be careful. Seriously, Matt, be careful. Drive slow, okay? Okay, don't go over there to those bushes like you were talking about last time. Okay, yeah, sure. But I left it on the table. I already knew what I wanted to do. So I zoom across the lake. I'm just by myself in this channel having so much fun. And then I miss the turnoff. 
And pretty soon I'm going straight at a tree. It's a dead end. And I don't know what to do because I don't know if you know this, but sea don't have brakes. There's no brakes on a sea So I don't know what to do. So I just jump off the sea right before I hit this tree. And it smacks into a tree. And it hits this tree so hard that it shakes all of these spiders that are in the tree out into the water. And I'm talking about hundreds and hundreds of spiders. And I have a life jacket on, so I can't get underwater to get them off of me because it keeps pulling me back up. And I'm screaming like, ah, ah, you know, and you can just see me just in the corner of the lake screaming. Nobody can hear me. And when I finally get enough spiders off of me to get on the sea-doo, the sea-doo's cracked in the front. And I assume taking out water. So now I'm thinking it's going to sink and I'm going to be stuck over here. So I jump on and I race across the lake and I'm cut in front of boats and I'm, I'm speeding by the slowdown buoys and I drive up on the dock and I spent the whole summer paying back my sister for the damage. <laughs> and uh, I had this picture in my mind of me and my friends and we were having fun and I just tried to live it again and it cost me because I showed scorn for their, their yellow light, their red light. I'm sure we all have a story like that. It's really common. And so, we have to be really sensitive about the choices that we make to not make these decisions we're making in everyday life. Oh, they're not a big deal. They don't really matter. They do matter. And then we have to be realistic about our natural inclination, which is to kind of leave the yellows and leave the reds and just look for the greens. The second mistake that Rehoboam made was he sought the counsel that fed his pride. He went straight from the counsel of the wise to his friends. He knew they were going to tell him what he wanted to hear. It says in uh, 1 Kings 12, And he said to them, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said, thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, say, my little finger is thicker than my father's thigh. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplines you with whips. I'm going to discipline you with scorpions. Yeah. High fives. That'll get him. And they bounced. They left. He lost half his kingdom. It cost him everything. He wanted people who would approve his ideas. He wanted people who would feed his selfishness, pride, and cruelty. He wanted people who would tell him, follow your heart, just do it, YOLO, you know, do whatever makes you happy, whatever, you know. He he wanted people who were going to essentially say, your natural, natural native instincts are correct. And this is very common for us, too. And this is where um, we have to ask an important question, which is why is it so common for us, the human race, to make these kinds of proud decisions that end up costing us? Why? And that is where God's word is essential. Because in our culture, there's lots of voices giving you a diagnosis of human nature. You've got psychology and philosophy and Somebody shoots up a school tragically, and then they trot out all the psychiatrists that tell you why this human did that and smuggled into their diagnosis is their view of human nature. You watch Frozen and Disney movies, and they tell you what's true about a person deep down inside. And so there's all these views about what kind of thing you are, how you tick. And if you get the view that deep down inside you're solid gold, you should follow your heart. That view will take you in a certain direction. When you have to make a decision, trust your gut, trust your instinct, go with your gut. That's one set of advice. Is that true? Is that, is that a good idea? Are we the kind of thing who should trust our gut? Well, according to God's word, the answer is no, 
Because our decision-making system, it's corrupted. The part of us that is the core of us, our heart, it's bent like a shopping cart to the left. If you ever had a shopping cart, you go to the grocery store, and it's always pulling, you know, and you're trying to push it the other way. That's the, the heart, according to God. What he sees when he looks at our hearts is he sees this bent. And this bent is bent towards pride. It's bent towards turning up our importance, turning up our ability, turning down the consequences, turning down the lights. Pride distorts. It makes us think we're stronger and smarter and better and more able than we really are. Everybody knows what pride is. What people don't tend to think is that pride is something they will deal with until the day they die. We think pride is something we just overcome at some point. But that's not what the scripture says. That's not what God says about human nature. Here's what he says. In Ecclesiastes 9.3, he says, The heart of children of a man are full of evil. And madness, that that means arrogance, pride, self-exaltation. Madness is in their hearts while they live, all the days they live. And after that, they go to the dead. So the picture you get, the diagnosis of our nature from God, and he does this because he loves us. Like a good father, he wants us to know the truth is, you don't trust your heart. Because your heart is pulling towards a proud direction. Now, I don't particularly like that reflection that scripture holds up to me. I don't like to be told I'm proud. But what was it that made me drive across the lake with the sea-dew? It wasn't humility. And so if we are, like the scripture says, corrupted in our decision-making process with pride, then all of our natural instincts are suspect. It doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means we should not be shocked when someone tells us to slow down and reconsider. And maybe we're missing something. Of course we are. Our natural inclination, because of sin, is towards pride. And that's why one of the prophets says in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Our hearts can easily trick us, deceive us. And Rehoboam's heart did. And this is why we need someone in our lives who understands our hearts. We need somebody in our lives who can cure our hearts. And that's why Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ is the only person who can take our heart that is corrupted, that has pride, and give us a new heart. When you give your life to Christ, when you swear allegiance to him, when you devote yourself to serving him the way people in the ancient world served a king, to where every part of your life is going to bring honor and glory to him, when you understand who he is and in a good conscience, you can say, I want that relationship with Jesus Christ. He gives you his spirit. And that spirit is a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of humility and a spirit of power. That spirit gives us new desires and the ability to choose against the pride. And God's spirit will enable us to make wiser decisions. It's one of the benefits of following Christ. He is the wisdom of God. Now, Rehoboam didn't have that. Rehoboam had pride and pride alone, and it cost him everything. The third mistake Rehoboam made was he had already decided what he wanted to do. He just, you know, he phoned it in. It was a formality. I I know people, and I know in my own life, uh, who ask advice, but you know that they've already decided. They're not as much asking advice as permission. I know that because I'm human, and I've done that too. And that's what Rehoboam did. We can ignore advice about harmful relationships. We get connected to people. We get invested in people whose lives are heading off in a direction that probably aren't best. 
but we don't want to hear it when someone says, hey, reconsider. Or we're about to make a financial choice. It could be a choice in our career about what we're going to do after we retire. You know, what are, you know am I, I going to move to Idaho like all my friends? Is that a good decision? It may be. It's just a recent thing. Everybody I meet moves to Idaho. I'm thinking, when I, when I get older, should I move to Idaho? Isn't it cold in Idaho? <laughs> anyway, tangent. Uh, there's, just, you know, there's all sorts of decisions that we have to make. And sometimes we set our hearts on something. And when we go to get advice, it's already, uh, it's already decided. When we, we need to have a neutral heart. That's another thing that the Holy Spirit will help you do. Before I was a Christian, there was no neutral heart. Before I was a Christian, there's just what I wanted and how I could get it. When I began to follow Christ and he gave me his spirit, new desires began to grow in me, a desire for what was best. I started to doubt my own judgment, that I knew what was best for me. And my prayers started to change to, Lord, I really, really want this, to, Lord, I really, really want this, if it's best. And you know what's best. So I really want it, but I don't want it if it's not best. You know what's best, so if it's best, will you give it to me? And then, in order for me to actually walk that path, I have to have a neutral heart. I have to have a heart that's willing to let go of what I want. And I can't make my heart neutral. Because it's beyond cure. But the Lord can do it. The Lord Jesus is the only person in the whole wide world who can take our hearts and make them neutral. So, the core of uh, refusing wise counsel is pride. And the core of getting wise counsel is humility. Sometimes people say slow down. That might mean short-term pain, or we may have to lose the goal we're after right now. But in the long term, it can prevent us a lot of trouble. So now what we're going to do is we're going to shift and look at what do you do instead of refusing wise counsel. And the answer is obvious. It is we should seek wise counsel and accept it. So the core of good decision-making is getting counsel. Counsel counts. You want to get really good counsel from people around you who have wisdom. Now, the Bible talks about um, getting counselors around you. Rehoboam had a counsel, a counsel of uh, wise people that his dad, Solomon, had left him. Uh, I've been reading uh, some books. Um, I work with students at our, at our church, and I've been reading some books by this guy named Dr. Tim Elmore. And he, he helps uh, equip leaders to train the next generation uh, to take their place in society and and to be leaders. And he made this really good point. He said, Google and Apple and General Electric and all these billion-dollar corporations, they all have board of advisors. And what these board of advisors do is they give the CEO, the leader who's driving the ship, they give that person advice so that they make the best decisions so that they don't you know, bankrupt the company. And then he made a point. He said, you know, schools have boards that advise the superintendent. Churches have boards. City governments have boards. But then he pointed out, but oftentimes in our own lives, we don't have boards. Here's Apple making decisions about this company, and they want to make a profit, which is great. But this is my life, my one and only life. The choices that I make have big consequences for me. And so he said, you know, we should all have our own personal board of advisors. And I thought, that's a great point. So who's on my board? Who's on your board? Who do you regularly talk to and lay before decisions that are big decisions you're going to make? Just like a CEO would do with the board of advisors they have. Who do you lay before these decisions and say, could you give me some input? 
What do you see that I'm not seeing? Here's what I'm thinking about. What do you think? A board of advisors is what Rehoboam had and what he rejected. It's what we all need. So let's just say that you agree, yeah, that's a good idea. I probably should have a board of advisors. Who do you put on the board? What kind of people? We need some sort of like profile or description of who shouldn't be and who should be on this board of advisors in our lives so that we can avoid rejecting and refusing wise counsel. And fortunately for us, God has provided us a list. He's given us qualifications. So there are some people you don't want to have on your board, and there's some people you do want to have on your board. And so here are some people you don't want to have on your board. There's a big category in the scriptures. It's called foolish people. Now, a foolish person in our culture just means they're dumb. That's not what it means in the Bible. It's not intellectual failing. It's a, it's a failing of sight, and it's a failing of, of, of um, the heart. A fool looks at the world as if God is not real. He's not really a factor. He may come to church every single Sunday for years, but when he leaves, he lives as if he's not there. The way I picture it is, is imagine a family photo. My family used to have this photo of us. Uh, my dad is a big guy. Maybe some of you have met him. And my mom, she's not, she's not very tall. I have two sisters. I was about seven, so we had this little family. And my dad had his arms around everybody. And I can see it in my mind because it hung over our, our um, piano all my childhood. And now imagine I took some scissors and I literally cut out my father from the photo. So all you saw was my sisters, my mom, and me. That's the picture of reality that a fool has. God is not there. He's not. He's not real. He doesn't impact any part of life. And they operate in life as if he's not real. These are people you want to avoid on your board. You want to love them. You want to hang out with them. And you want to be friends with them uh, and encourage them. But you don't want them to make decisions or help you make decisions. Let me show you a clip. This is from uh, Woody Harrelson and uh, Matthew McConaughey. You may know who those guys are. They're actors. They were given an award a couple years ago. And I remember this story. And I was just cracking up when I heard it. And it, it, it's a great example of a friend who... You're friends with, but doesn't really give you great advice. Take a look. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Come on back to the airstream after I make the best margarita this side of the Arroyo Grande. I have said that. I have said that. Let me, let me, let me share with you a little bit of uh, worldly woody wisdom. One of them. All right. So it's late last year. I had a little problem come up in my life. A conflict. Something I had to deal with that I didn't want to deal with, but it was hard to deal with and I had to. So I go to my friend Woody. Thoughtful man and friend. I say, Woody, you know, you always seem to keep it pretty, pretty cool. What, what do you do when you got a problem or a conflict that comes up in your life? Being my good friend, he thinks about it for a minute. He lowers his head for about 15 or 20 seconds. And he looks back up to me and looks right in my eyes, deep into my soul. And he says, I just forget about it. <laughs> That's true. This is incredible how you do that. It works. It really does work. <laughs> I want to offer that to all of you. Right. Uh, all right. All right. All right. I don't know if you want to take that advice. You know, Woody Harrelson, great actor. You want to be a great actor? Talk to Woody. But uh, just forget about it? I don't know. So, you know, there are people, and uh, we love them, but there are some we don't want to put on our board. 
So here are a couple other kinds of folks. One is flatterers. Flatterers. These are people who tell you what you want to hear, not the truth. Rehoboam's friends were flattering him because they wanted him to help them. They told him what he wanted to hear. You're awesome. You're great. If you have people in your life that are flattering you, they're not people you want to put on your personal board. Proverbs 29.5 says, whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. And that's because what a flatterer is doing is saying, no, 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 you don't need to get more information. No, 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 you don't need to slow down or stop. Just keep going with what you think because it's all going to be great. But actually, our, our lives, there's all sorts of pitfalls and cliffs and stuff you could, could hurt you. And so you need somebody who's actually saying, well, what about this? What about that? Second person you want to avoid is a, is a slugger. We don't use that word much. Uh, sluggards are lazy people. People who are always using words like, that's too hard. This is the easier way. They want a faster way, cheaper way, shortcut they're, they're always looking for the least amount of output. And uh, these people, again, be your friends, no problem, but you don't want to put them on your board. Proverbs twenty-two thirteen says, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll be murdered in the streets. I can't go to work. I'd go to work, but uh, there's a lion outside. Right? I'd help you move, but uh, there'll be, I'll be murdered in the street. They're making outrageous claims about outside so that they don't have to do work. That's the idea here. And so you don't want to have a sluggard helping you read a situation and make a course of action. Uh, the third one is a rebel. Rebel someone who is unwilling to submit and follow authority, valid authority. And if you have someone who's in your life and they just they get corrected, they make the wrong choice, they're always bad-mouthing their boss, their leader, their parents, their, you know, whoever, then these people are going to give you a view of your situation that is distorted. Proverbs 10:17 says, "He who heeds discipline Shows the way of life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. So rebels, sluggards, uh, flatterers, these are types of folks you don't want on your board. Now, Rehoboam's dad wrote the book that we're reading from, the book of Proverbs, Wise Sayings. This is a guy who collected some really, some pearls of wisdom, and he put it together in a book for his son. There's 31 chapters. Usually there's 31 days in a month. If you don't read the Bible much... This would be a great exercise to give you wisdom. Read a chapter of Proverbs a day for a month. And ask God before you do, would you please show me what I need to learn from this today? And these things will pop out like jewels. Clearly Rehoboam hadn't been reading his father's book. So instead of putting these folks on your board, what you want to do is you want to find wise people and seat them on the board. Now what's a wise person? There's lots of definitions. Biblically, there are three dimensions to the wise person. One, a wise person has walked with God and knows his commands and therefore can do things in a way that is right before God, pleasing to God. They don't cut corners that displease God. Number two, a wise person does things in a way that's right by other people. They're just. They don't hurt people, burn people, take advantage of people. So their courses of action are just by others. They're right before God. And the third dimension is they know how to get things done. They know how to succeed. They know how to accomplish their goals and uh, fulfill their plans. But when they do, they do it in a way where the people around them are better for it, where God is pleased by it. Now, that's a tight strike zone. There's a lot of people who can get things done, but at the expense of the people around them. That's called Game of Thrones, right? There's a lot of people who... They, they, they want to please God, and that's great, but they have very little wisdom when it comes to life. 
and how to actually get things done in this world. There's other ways, but to have someone who has those three, that's, that's a precious thing. They're more rare than diamonds. So when you find somebody who has that kind of wisdom, you want to ask them for advice. And ask them to sit on the board. So how do you get their advice? What, what, do you, what can you do that will cause them to keep giving you advice? Because wise people, they're busy. And if you ask them for advice, you want to make sure that you, you get it and they keep giving it. So here's the first thing. One, one is don't finalize your plans until you have sought wise counsel. Write your plans in pencil, not pen. Be willing to erase your ideas. I remember when I was younger, some of you heard the story before, but I graduated college. I needed a job. My wife and I were engaged, not yet married. Uh, maybe I wasn't engaged yet, but anyway, I worked at this ice cream store, Cold Stone, and uh, I worked there for a year, and uh, I didn't make a whole lot of money. I felt like I deserved more money, you know, with zero managerial experience in my past. <laughs> I deserved more money. So I, I was going to go tell my boss, like, can you pay me more and give me better insurance, and if you don't, I'm going to walk. I had a meeting at like three or four. Well, I, I happened to run into one of the wise counselors in my life, and uh, I told him what I was going to say, all proud. <laughs> And he didn't give me a green light. Uh, he actually said, hey, why don't we get some coffee? So then he asked me some questions, and then he began to tell me that I was going at it all wrong. I was being proud. He said, you know, you don't need to go in there and tell him this is what I deserve, because that's your responsibility. You, you need to go in there and say, I appreciate this job. You guys are taking a huge risk on me because I have no managerial experience. And uh, I'm going to work hard. And all that I ask is that in a year, if I do a good job, maybe we can talk about getting a raise. So... I did what he said. I didn't want to do it, but I did what he said. Sat down with my boss, who was the general manager over five different stores, and he had had meetings with all the other managers before me. So we sit down, and I say, okay, I just want to tell you, and I just repeated what my counselor told me to say. And uh, he was like, he was so agitated, he's like looking around, he's like, you know what? And he like stuck his hand out and shook my hand. And I was like, whoa, Caesar, what's going on? He's like, I just had three meetings with the other managers, and every single one of them told me I deserve this, and you don't pay me enough, and you better give me more insurance, or I'm going to walk. And I was so frustrated, and I was going to fire you if you said that. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't going to say that. That would have been foolish. (laughs) So in my life, you know, and sure in your life, there have been people who have kept you from that. But my plans, honestly, my plans were in pen. He just took the paper and tore it up and then slid a new piece of paper across and handed me a pencil. But you want to keep your plans in pencil and you want to make plans by seeking advice. That's what Proverbs 2018 says. It says make plans by seeking advice, making plans and seeking advice. Where, where does one start and the other end? I don't know. Start advice. Get, get advice. Seek counsel. Don't make your plans. Dial it all in. Get all excited. Have your dream and then go to a wise advisor because he may rip it apart. She may rip it apart. And that's hard to let go of. If you wage war, obtain guidance. Why do you need to obtain obtain guidance when you wage war? You know the answer to that. If you're going to go to war, there's all these consequences for you and other people. You definitely need guidance. There's dominoes you can't predict. The second thing, if you want to get uh, the counsel of the wise on your life board, is you've got to approach the wise with humility. You've got to reject pride. It says in 1 Kings 12, The young men who had grown up with him replied, Tell these people who have said to you, Your father has put a heavy yoke on us. But make our yoke lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. That would have been a great time for him to say, you know what, guys? This is not good advice. I'm going to go with the uh, older, wiser crowd. But he didn't. He was committed to his proud way. Proverbs 15:12 says, a mocker resents correction. He will not consult the wise. That's a, that's a picture of Rehoboam. Think about what it cost him. The third thing we have to do is we have to, we have to seek the truth. 
not what we want to hear. The truth is our friend, and sometimes our friends tell us the truth. And that can hurt. Proverbs 27, 6 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Sometimes friends tell us the hard truth that we don't want to hear, but it saves us a lot of pain. But an enemy multiplies kisses. Rehoboam thought these boys were his friend. What's the difference between the advice that Rehoboam's enemies would have given him and the advice his friends gave him? Nothing. It was almost like they were spies sent by some opposing king to give him really bad advice. They treated him like an enemy because of their foolish advice. But a friend in their wounds can be trusted. Sometimes when I'm, I'm meeting with someone, um, I just ask that I could have a neutral heart and that I could take the hard words that are going to be said if there's going to be hard words. I don't always do that, um, but sometimes I do. And um, when I do, as I'm getting advice or people are telling me something, sometimes when I've, I've asked God to help me with that, he'll, in the middle of it, just remind me, this is good, this is true, you, you need to let them speak. And he kind of calms down the pride inside of me. That's something that the Holy Spirit does within you as you walk with God. So where do you find wise advisors? As we wrap up, I just want you to consider, where, where do we find these people? Well, the Lord Jesus has placed wisdom in his church. We're a church, one of many, many churches around the world. And it's in the church that the spirit of the living God dwells in his people. The spirit of wisdom and power and humility, the resources that we need. And sitting across from you right now are a whole bunch of people who have experience driving on the roads that you are on. People who have real wisdom, and they're willing to help you. That's what God intends, is for us to be encouraging and speaking to one another and advising one another so that we can make the best possible decisions. I have been saved a lot of pain and a lot of problems by people here at Church in the Valley. And it was sometimes hard, and sometimes it was just in, right, just in time. But um, your job, our job, to apply what we've learned from Rehoboam is to identify areas in our lives that we really do need input and then to seek out people who can give us good advice. So some of you are students and you have a whole life in front of you. And the questions are, who are you going to have relationships with? Who's going to be your best friend? Who's going to be the circle you run with? Another question is, you know, what do I do with school? What do I do with study? Should I sign up for that? Should I join this? There are big course setting decisions being made in your teenage years. And God has placed in your lives parents to give you wisdom, but he's also provided you other people. At our church, we have a student ministry with leaders who love our students. And it's very wise to get their input regularly as you move through your teenage years. Some of you are running businesses or you have significant responsibility at your job. And some of our places of work are just like us, dysfunctional. And it's hard to know how to do your job in a way that's right by other people and right by God and still gets the job done. It's really difficult to figure that out. And it's very wise to ask others, what do you think about this? I'm thinking about doing this. I'm thinking about making this decision, using resources this way. Some of you have families that are young, kids. It's hard raising kids. Sometimes it just feels, you feel honestly dread in the morning because it's just going to be a battle. It's not anything wrong. Nobody's, nobody's bad. It's just it's part of life. And you know, there are other people who have raised children ahead who have really great input. And uh, as we make our plans, it's a really good idea to, to, to call somebody up or to ask them if they'd like to get some coffee. Or just catch them after church and say, hey, can I just lay something out in front of you? Here's, here's what I'm thinking. And uh, what do you think about that? 
Whatever situation you are in, wherever you are right now in your life, you're making decisions all the time. You're facing forks all the time. And so all of us, if we're going to avoid the failings of Rehoboam, and if we're going to experience uh, the good things that come from good decisions, then we have to include wise counselors on our board. So as we wrap up, I'd like you to think about what can you do with this information, right? Information plus application, it doesn't help. Information plus application equals growth and maturity. God has, has spoken to us through the word of God today so that we can apply it. So if you take out your connection card, it's that little blue square that was inside your program, and take a look at the next steps on your, on your um, outline or up here. here. Here's some things you could do. Number one, it's a good idea to memorize Proverbs 20:18. Make plans by seeking advice. If you wage war, obtain guidance. By memorizing that scripture and recognizing decision-making moments and bringing that verse back up to mind, God can direct you. Number two is identify a decision that you need advice on. Right now, what are you having? What are, what are some points of your life where you're feeling pain, tension, frustration, fear, anxiety? And now ask yourself this question. What's the decision I need to make? Identify a decision, write it down. And then number three, identify two, one, three wise counselors who can sit on the board or at least give you input. This is how God has wired things so that we can, we can be prosperous and we can be blessed. I hope this has encouraged you. Uh, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you and thank you for your love for us. You created us to rule and reign over this earth, the whole human race. It was going to be great, but in our rebellion, we, we broke off from you. And that's brought pain and sin and distortion into our lives. And yet you have, have sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this world to, to make all things new, to restore what's broken in us and over this whole world. We really need a new heart. We need wisdom to make good decisions. We need wisdom just to see the decisions we have to make. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask that you would give all of us here wisdom. For those here who have never decided to follow your son, Jesus, Father, I pray that you would help them to see the truth and that you would help them to decide to do that. I pray for those here who are following Christ but perhaps haven't been asking him for wisdom and, and guidance. That's, that's normal, Lord. You know this. You know our weaknesses and our failings. Would you please just turn up our desire to get advice, give us eyes to see the decisions in front of us. I just pray for a year of better decision-making. Help us to avoid the, the mistakes that Rehoboam made. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.